You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 556, Hired Guns, the side men and women of rock, Paul Heaton's grand gesture, Look Out, Bono's written a book, and TV coppers through the years. That's all coming up after New Radicals and Someday We'll Know. 90 miles outside Chicago Can't stop driving, I don't know why So many questions I need an answer Two years later you're still on the mind Whatever happened to very short-lived band from the late 1990s but they produced two great singles you get what you give and this one number 48 in the uk in 1999 new radicals and someday we'll know 
Indeed. I don't think I've heard that since the time. It, to put it this way, it does not get played with the same frequency as you get what you give, does it really? Which I often feel, I, I feel like I've heard it so many times that I might have in fact played on it because because <laughs> it's just constantly. Bre- Greg Alexander, interesting, um, uh, interesting sort of second life in that he penned, um, he did a lot of songwriting work. He won mm. the Grammy Award for The Game of Love by Santana in 2003. He mm. also wrote songs for the rather underrated film Begin Again. Um, <clears throat> Lost Stars, he wrote, and that was nominated for the Academy Award for the best song. Um, it's If anyone hasn't seen it, it's worth digging out. It's a curious little film, but I rather liked it. 2013, it's described as a musical comedy drama film, Wait, Come Back, and it's it's written and directed by John Carney, and it stars Mark Ruffalo, who's always good value, and Kira Knight. Uh, Kira Knightley plays a struggling singer-songwriter who's going out with a man in a famous band who is played by Adam Levine from uh, Maroon mm. 5. And it's it's really good. I'd, I, it's, it's, a, it's just one of those films where if it's on TV, like, you know, at half ten at night on BBC One or something, yeah. it's really worth watching. And Greg Alexander wrote a lot of the music for that, and it's really good. For one of those films, it's good. The album that these two tracks came from was, um, as I say, 1999, turn of mm-hmm. the, the millennium. And it was one of the reasons that I had got such full support for the iTunes and Spotify thing of breaking albums down into mm. individual tracks. Because I heard You Get What You Give and I saw the video. Yes, and I thought, exactly. oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Rushed out and bought the album. And to be honest, it, there's two great tracks on it. You get what you give and someday we'll know. And the rest of it is like, <laughs> nah. and, you know, that was the sort of time when people were beginning to get really frustrated at paying vast mm. sums, uh, rushing out to get a CD on the back of one good single and then finding that that great single was the only worthwhile um, track mm. on, a, on a given as, album. And I got as, as, I got burnt on that so many times. Yes. That I thought that the the whole, um, you know, breaking it down into into separate yes. tracks is a, only Works. to be applauded. Well, interestingly, Q magazine sort of did that before um, before even iTunes. This must have been even before illegal downloading was a thing. Yes, the Napster remember, sort of time, wasn't it? Around 2000. But I think it might, this even predated mm. Napster, I think. There used to be a little column in Q, you know, like a sort of sidebar thing. Right. And I used to read Q a lot in the mid to late 90s. And it, I can't remember what it was called. And there was a snappy name for it, but the description mm. of it was great tracks from less than great yeah. recent albums. But it was doing that before you could really have a means to do that. Because I remember it recommended and I heard this again recently and it is great they recommended Smoke by Natalie Imbruglia from Left of the Middle I think Mm. um, which everyone will know for Torn and they were like there's not a lot on this it's good but Mm. Smoke is great so I love the fact that Q kind of preempted that That, I think that was pre-Napsy it would have been 97, 98 when I read that Mm. and and I think that's a really great idea I remember bless him there are some good songs on it but I remember feeling similarly when I purchased The Lone Ranger by Suggs off the back of his cover of Cecilia and I'm Only Sleeping um, mm. There are some reasonable songs on that, but it is not awesome. a match. Yeah, Welcome along to the Parish Council. It's episode 556. I'm Terence Stackham, and yet to be called to give evidence in the Wagatha Christie case, <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I mean, uh, reading, someone posted a load of quotes on Twitter and put, by the way, we're only on day one of this. And it mm. just is the gift. I mean, Marina Hyde's column, as always, has it right in The Guardian today. It really is the gift that keeps on go- giving this. I mean, you know, 
is is this gonna go this is almost like a boxing fight i feel like it's a boxing match now is the ref gonna let it go for all the rounds or is some sensible grown-up going to intervene and suggest that perhaps an agreement can be come to who knows but um it's been a lot of fun ill-advised is that the word are the words that come to well you know to mind you, you, for me you but... may say so terence of course legally we can't possibly comment but um no. yes i'm no. not sensing i'm not sensing I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I said doom ahead for someone in particular. But anyway, hi, everyone. Paul McCartney has just started touring in the States in the last week. Mm. And I was watching some fan shot footage of a few of the songs at a gig in uh, at Spokane in Washington State. Mm. And what struck me was that it, as each song ended, his two guitarists, uh, Rusty Anderson and Brian Ray, immediately backed out of the lights with only Paul lit by the stage lighting. Mm. Then. As Paul McCartney introduced the next song and uh, it began, back they came onto the front line. And I thought, here in a nutshell is the life of being a sideman, not not a fully integrated band member, but a sideman who has to know when to step out of the spotlight. And uh, these days, if you go to see the Stones, the Eagles, the Who, it's particular with heritage bands whose mm. long-standing band members have died um, yes. you'll see and hear side men and side women doing much of the heavy lifting Indeed. but very much playing second second fiddle to the star names so what is life like to be a hired gun this week we've w- watched a documentary with that name mm. hired gun on amazon prime documenting the highs and lows on the road for musicians jules destined not to have their names on the posters Indeed, yes, I very much enjoyed this. It wasn't something I'd really heard of until you drew my attention to it, but I very much enjoyed it. I don't, I haven't looked into this, but it felt very similar to an excellent documentary. I can't remember if we ever discussed this or if I just saw it and enjoyed it. Um, about the Sound City Studios, um, that Dave Grohl did a sort of a passion project on this a few years mm. ago, and it felt very similar. And it had it had really good quality talking heads, and actually quite a lot of the talking heads we didn't know. I thought all of the session musicians that were picked came across very well it was really interesting and that it's it covered a lot of different aspects i felt for a for a thing about a fairly limited area so it looked at you know what happens if you start your own band you know what happens if you then if the if the, i can't remember i'm not sure if it's poacher gamekeeper or gamekeeper poacher i'm not sure but there was some there, there seemed to be a real difference between we really saw the best and the worst of the big stars, didn't you, really? And and, and I came out of this with different views on different people, frankly. And it was very interesting how ego worked in a very strange way with a lot of these session musicians in that there are some people that really wanted to be stars and there are other people that just wanted to be session musicians. I enjoyed the woman in Alice Cooper's band and I thought Alice Cooper came across as one of the better people out of this, yeah, actually. He, he seemed like a very good-natured, nice man who picked good quality posi- uh, musicians, was always on the lookout. I love the fact he went to different shows and was like, he's a great talent scout, Alice Cooper. I mean, you know, <laughs> sign him up to the Premier League. He was great. But um, but but then when ba- when people got approached by the bands, he was very good. He just seemed like a really nice bloke to work for. Yes, and did. a lot of people seem to seem to want to work him, but the the woman that, that played guitar with him said, oh, "We're all show off, really, aren't we?" And it was it was very funny that they all got their moments. There was some, you know, they all played together in this sort of rehearsal room, and they all got moments to show off. But Alice Cooper was very good about letting people go and play at the front, and was really sort of he was like, "If you're, you know, if you're doing the guitar side, you Alice, you are Alice Cooper. Go to the front." You know, he was he was very cool. Pink came across as a very nice woman yes. as well, I thought, and and I love the fact that, um. There were some people in this, the session musicians, who 
we're good at embra- uh, sort of embracing the reality of what a session musician is. So Jason Hook, who I thought seemed like a thoroughly nice man, um, who played with played with Pink, also he he seemed his his heart is really with metal. He played with Alice Cooper. He played with Vince Vince Neil. He now plays in Five Finger Death Punch. But I thought he was very ego free in that he was more than happy to play with people like Mandy Moore and Hilary Duff and Pink. And he he's just seemed very balanced in that he was willing, you know, to play. Someone said, oh, it was softer than I thought he'd play. But he just seemed like to be really enjoying living that kind of life. And also illustrated the, the complete insecurity of it as well. And that he bought a house and then was promptly sort of let go from Hillary Duff's people a few weeks later. And he was like, it was just sheer terror. It was it was good at illustrating the kind of the highs and lows of it where people started to run into trouble was where you sort of because you either thought or you were led to believe you were in the band mm. and then all of a sudden you weren't and so so um the the two people that came out of this is the biggest i can't say this word now but the people out of this that did not come out of this very well was the bloke that was in nine inch nails that went on to be in filter Yes. He was really horrible, I thought, really yes. needlessly unpleasant. And it's like he was one of those sort of, you know, he'd he'd had it really hard. And then um, I think his name was Richard Patrick. He'd had it hard in Nine Inch Nails. And then it, it was sort of like pay it backwards, was then unpleasant to people in his band. One of the yeah. people in his band that's gone on to be the voice of Carl Jr. ads, which I thought was great, who <laughs> was very fun at that, and he was like very enjoyed it. He he was very clear that he would not be doing that ever again. And and of course the biggest villain of this piece was Billy Joel, who who had a who had a band of people that were basically his band until they weren't and he didn't even bother to tell them one of them one of them found out on the radio and of course there was this terrible one of them ended up um dying by suicide it was it was a a horrible tale he did not come out of it at all well and it just goes to show really that if you are a hired gun you are to some you're you're always at the mercy of your master aren't you and and this the one thing i took away from this is that some masters are very much nicer than others not everybody has to be like that you know go on tour with pink you know she she really gets it it's really important to have like a sort of a family atmosphere everybody has a great time um i very much enjoyed uh jason hook saying when he was playing with hillary duff right time to go out and scare the children you know playing for these sort of you know kiddie audiences but not not being with particularly mocking about that just just you know just accepting that's what it was it was really fascinating this there was so much detail in it there were so many sort of people and it, it sort of it examined all sorts of different aspects so you know what it's like to replace someone in a band who's died in the case of Ozzy Osbourne's backing band it was it was it was a lot of fun this it was it was much more interesting than I thought it would be actually it all seemed uh, this lifestyle all seemed quite stressful to me one, mm, of, one of the participants says uh, you have to be on your a game every time yes and that was with the implication that there was always a queue of people ready to step in yeah, your shoes absolutely, at a moment's notice. Yes. um i i had always thought and like you i've now got a different opinion mm. i had always thought that billy joel was a nice An chap he's a nice yes. man of rock i was particularly taken with liberty devita the drummer with billy yes, joel for 30 years fun. yes wasn't he yes i liked him um only be dr- dropped almost on a whim by Joel when DeVito mentioned he was short of money following a divorce. And Billy Joel says, oh, well, I mean, why are you telling me this? I don't want to know. And uh, and dropped him. What, what an arse, geez. Absolutely. And as you say, he doesn't come out of this documentary at all well. And again, to reiterate what you said, dropped the rest of his band with no notice, with tragic consequences in one case. Um, 
this was this was the team theme throughout. I thought that these side men and women were always rather on edge with mm. the knowledge that this gig could be their last if the big name so wishes. Although, yeah, we, to be fair, as you say, we did hear some people um, feel that they were treated well, and that of course yes. was key to a happy tour. Um, I I was wondering as well um, about the finance for this because the mm. the only example I've got is I know for sure. When Paul McCartney was running Wings, that mm. the band members did not receive much money at all. And I know this for mm. certain because one of my friends was the drummer in Wings for a few years. And oh, right. Paul has since said that he regrets his parsimony of those days. Well, good. It's, it's said now. There's that, always time to make up for it now. Well, I, I, I just say. Yes, indeed. Um, pay it back, as you say. Mm. I, I believe the four band members uh, that play on stage with Paul McCartney now each get $20,000 a show. That's not and bad, is it? That's really? not bad. There's 16 shows on this current North American tour. I imagine they probably get some sort of retainer too, but looking at yes. Hired Gun, these, these I think, really are the exceptions. Generally, mm. you're just not going to get rich as a guitarist for Billy Joel or um, Nine Inch Nails. No, absolutely. But but in some cases, that wasn't necessarily what they wanted. And I suppose there is no. a certain level of freedom to it as well, in that if you do get a better offer, you can just pop off and do that. And there was very much a sense, I think, that it was sort of a bit like... Not exactly a treadmill, but there is there is a sort of a career path in this, I think, in that if you get if you're known as being sort of good, I, whoever I can't remember who it was that said that, but someone said they thought it was the uh, it might have been Alice Cooper or someone else said that you have to dis. Oh, no, it might have been Rob Zombie, I think, who I didn't have any idea what Rob Zombie looked like. And I, I thought he was I thought he was the one that played the, the, the guitarist from the Muppet that wears the Trilby hat. I thought that was <laughs> him in real life for a minute. I was very surprised. Anyway, um, he not that, you know, it's right to criticize people's appearance. And actually, I like that. Guitar- I like that bloke from the Muppet. So it makes sense to me. But anyway, he said that, you know, when you're picking people, it, it it's the three things. And I thought, actually, this applies to any job, I think, and job interviews that I've got. It's the mixture of, are you talented enough as a musician? Um, can you, can you, um, you know, can you, can you do it? Can you do it repeatedly? Have you, can you hold it together enough to be able to do this? And can I live on a bus with you for a year? Yeah. And often it's the third factor. As yeah. someone, as whoever it was that said, well, that narrows it down to about three people usually. And I have got jobs before because the people in the room liked me and, and, you know, other, other things in favor. But, but I, I've hired people before because I've just thought, yeah, I could sit in an office with you. And and you know yes. we'll get on fine, and you're not going to be antagonistic or difficult. And so so yes, it, that was interesting. I thought in in that you know you got the impression that 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 it's not just you know it's not just about being good. That, that there is a certain limited pool. But then but then if, if you can get into that pool, like the idea that Alice Cooper got his guitarist um, Jason Hook because he happened to be a, a a Hillary Duff show, I think, and was like, oh, you know, he's really good that bloke. That's what I mean by the talent spotting. And then, of course, that's far more what what that bloke wants to do, I would think, and then ends up in Five Finger Death Punch. So, so you know, there is a sort of a trajectory. But yeah, you very much have to have your wits about you because there's a there's a lot of competition. Having said that, though, it is possible to have a happy career as long as you as long as you are aware of the fact that it could you are at the mercy of somebody else well this is worth watching we feel Mm. hired gun it's directed by fran strine and it's on amazon prime excellent coming right up paul heaton's generosity Mm. and bono writes a book that's next (laughs) (laughs) after salad 
really like this. I think it's. I think there were a lot of. I mean, people often say, "Oh, there are only really a few good, a few good big major bands in Britpop." I think there were quite a few good bands during Britpop that didn't necessarily have loads and loads of successful singles or albums, but you know, came up with some songs which I think still sound good today. And look, some of Britpop has dated very badly, but some of it's dated really quite well, I think. And I, I really like Stallard. I thought they were great. They were famous for their singer Marjean van der Vrugt, who was a um uh, a, a a VJ, I think on possibly on Dutch MTV and um they they had a few hits and I really really like this I think this is great I describe it as sort of classy rock more than anything else I think uh, salad and drink the elixir a terrific track Dri- drives along like nobody's business doesn't it mm, I'm very, very keen on that and they did they did reform a little while ago so um mm. like many Britpop bands in that era I think they might be on the star-shaped circuit now they did have a studio album released in 2019 they're rather charmingly titled well, I love the fact that they're that they're their first it was their first album and new material in 21 years since ice cream in 1997 and mm. they decided to follow that with the salad way so so usually you'd have you'd have ice cream after salad wouldn't you but clearly not Mm. in this case so yeah big fan of salad uh, nice people in rock. Who's on the list? Um, from well, not personal... Billy Joel. After the film not, we've just watched. Not Billy Joel. And from personal experience, Chuck Berry not on the list. No, no, we've we discussed that before. Yeah. Cheese sandwich eating Chuck yeah, Berry not indeed. pleasant. John Lydon not on the list. Ian Jury mm. not on the list. But uh, who would be on the nice people list? From personal experience, Judy Zook, Stevie Winwood, and yes. we can surely add to those uh, Dave Grohl. James Blunt, I understand. Yes, a very nice man, apparently. I'm just trying to think. I I met Jane Weaver once, and she was very pleasant. Also, Emma Anderson from Lush. She's also a very nice lady. So so there are nice people in rock. Alice Cooper, we've decided we're on. James Dean Bradfield always seems a nice chap. Absolutely. um, Jules, this week, the award for nicest pop star has a new contender. Indeed, yes, lovely Paul Heaton, as we now have to call him. I mean, he always seemed like an affable bloke anyway, but um, it was his 60th birthday, and so Paul Heaton puts a £1,000 behind the bar at 60 pubs. So he, 60 grand Paul Heaton has put into meaning that people could have a drink with him. He says on his Facebook page that his original tour plan involving cycling bet- between venues around the UK had to be shelved after the pandemic caused delays to recording the new album. The next best way to celebrate this coming of age is to handpick 60 pubs across the UK and Ireland and put a given amount of money behind the bar in each one. The hope is to bring people together on the day whilst recognising that many folk who bought my records or show me support over the years could do with a wee party. What a lovely man. What a lovely gesture. I mean, admittedly, given how successful Carry On Up the Charts, the best of the beautiful South was, to the point where it was reported in the late 90s that one in seven UK households had a copy of that compilation, he could probably afford it but having said that many of the the rock stars that we discuss but we discuss can afford these things i cannot see billy joel doing this i can however see paul heaton doing this i'm a huge huge fan of this um particularly pubs that he sort of visited as well so a pub which i've drunk in which is excellent in central manchester called the britain's protection which has been there since 1750 um is one of his his, his regular places and the the, the pub landlord uh, or the bar manager john burke and he loves it here. He always sits in the same spot when he comes and chats to people. So, so I, th- I was delighted by this. I thought it was such a kind and lovely thing to do, and and just just 
just so sweet, really. And what what a lovely response to the last couple of years and how uncertain it's been for everyone. And yes, it's been awful for musicians, but it's been awful for a lot of other people too. And I thought, as he had the means to do so, I was really charmed by this. Well done, Paul Heaton. What a lovely gesture of humanity, of, you know, realising that he's in that position because of people supporting him over the years. I, I was really moved by this. I thought it was lovely. He seems to have a personal connection to each of these 60 pubs. And yes, I say that's that. That's so lovely, yes. I say that because um, a pub in the Surrey Hills, the cricketers in the heart of Dorking, was chosen. Oh, yes. And I know this only because one of my friends was in there on Monday and happily and entirely coincidentally was able to have a couple of drinks due to this uh, noble gesture. Oh, lovely. And he did so nice. ask and said, you know, why has Paul Heaton chosen, you know, with respect, a a pub in the middle of the Surrey Hills? Mm. And apparently Paul Heaton's father was a regular there. So I'm assuming he's got some sort of connection to each of these 60 pubs. But as you say, a thoroughly splendid thing. a spl- sorry to interrupt you. It's a splendid thing, and it does make me laugh. You say a personal connection to sixty of these pubs. I mean, that does say a little bit about Paul. He's a lifestyle. <laughs> yes, if he had a yes. personal, I mean, I'd like pubs. I'm not sure I could come up with sixty. I had a personal connection to beyond the fact that I've been in there once and enjoyed it. But um, but yeah, this is just such a nice thing. Well done. Last time we were here, we talked about the proliferation of books by musicians yes. and the motivation behind publishing them. In particular, we talked about Brian Ferry's book of lyrics last week. Well, it was inevitable. Step forward, please. Paul Hewson, commonly known Uh, as Bono. His forthcoming book is titled Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. And it has 40 chapters with 40 drawings by Bono and (laughs) will illuminate in detail, I quote, the people, places and possibilities in his life. Um, Jules, the publisher says surrender is, and I'm quoting again, honest, intimate, irreverent and profound, a dazzling memoir of a remarkable life. Um, now, Bono seems to divide opinions. So <laughs> will, you be, will you be gasping in anticipation of surrender? I mean, so the building that I live in, we have a a shelf downstairs in one of the communal areas as you come in, where people often sort of leave or discard or or just, it's more leaving for other people. It was particularly good during the pandemic. I mean, there were wipes that you could wipe things with. But if you finished with a book or a DVD or something, you'd leave it on the shelf. And and, and there is no formal library system for this, but it is a sort of an impromptu and it works really well. Uh, There's 45 flats in my building. And, you know, and so you get a good range of material. If someone leaves the Bono book on the shelf, I'll probably pick it up and read it out of interest. However, I'm not entirely, or if you know, if I happen to see it in British Heart Foundation for a couple of quid at some point, I might pick it up. However, um, however, I'm not entirely convinced I'm going to be going out and spending a lot of money on this. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because I think my issue with Bono is. Um, it's the self-importance I think yeah. that gets me and it's and the thing is is that it, it's everything he does and, and this might be being very unfair and my apologies if you if you know Bono and, and he's a friend of yours and he's a great guy I'm only going off what we know as a public perception which is we always know is not always very accurate but I very much applaud all of the charity work that Bono has done I've heard a lot about the charity work that Bono has done. We are, we are, there is not an opportunity goes by in which we are not told about how great Bono's done stuff for charity. And and I read um, 
there's a I can't remember what it was called, but I read a really good book about by Norena Hertz, who's a sort of a, a an economist. Um, and this would have been years, you know, years and years ago now. And I think in the run up to Live Eight in two thousand and five, uh, about the cancellation of third world debt, essentially. And I think this sums up for me my issue with Bono in that he seemed to sort of take it upon himself to get involved, mm. and would often be in meetings with quite important people, going, "Oh, why can't we do this now?" And it's like, if you don't know anything about this stuff, why are you getting in the room to talk about it? You know, I, I find I find that aspect. Yes, I know that he's he's trying to use his profile to do good. And that is to be admired. But I, I just I just I feel like Bono is a balloon and I want to take a pin and burst him quite often. I feel that it's very he's very overinflated. And. The thing is, is that there are some people that write books, like, for example, Jarvis Cocker from Pulp. You think, oh, this book will be quite fun because it will have some sense of self-awareness about it and it probably won't take itself too seriously. And the minute that I just heard that there are 40 chapters named after 40 songs and he's done drawings, I just think, oh, God, you know, I just I just there's something about him and the heaviness with which he wears himself that I just think, you know, is this going to have any self-awareness? probably not um is there going to be anybody that said no to him at any point in this process probably not um and i i, I don't know and and you know it's possible that people that i like could produce terrible books as well but um and and you know you two have had a very long career um uh, what was it someone said to me once you two are the most successful band that nobody you know likes them and yet they somehow managed to manage to you know there was once a, 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 i read something after the 2015 general election which someone said the you two and conservatives i've both you know that you know they're both incredibly popular even though nobody you know likes them to which someone said yes and uh, this government has the same thing in common with the u2 album that was put onto my itunes without mm-hmm. my permission it's that i ended up with this when i didn't want it and so so clearly you two must have something because they've had a, a you know a 40-year career more than that and and been hugely hugely successful and of course bono does have you need drive in order to be like that so i get why you know why bono is like he and that it has great great sort of rewards for them and they've made some records that I like but I just think you know I I just my my instant reaction was to sigh when I read that this book was coming out so so there are some people I'm sure we'll enjoy enjoy this very much there'll be some interesting tales in it I suspect because there will be if you've been doing this for 40 years but I'm not entirely convinced I'm going to spend my pennies on this I tend to find myself too in the Bono is incredibly irritating group of people. Yes. There was footage this week of Bono and his equally oddly named pal, The Edge, performing <laughs> in a Kiev subway station. And I admit that rather uncharitably, my first thought was, um, haven't they suffered enough over there? But, um, <laughs> but they, they, people like that always find a way of making it about themselves. And that's they? what I... I find and and I had I hate to say this and I suspect we may get complaints. I felt slightly similarly and although you know politically he's perhaps nearer to me than 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 than, than others but uh, Billy Bragg did something similar during one of the mm. claps um, for the NHS, saying, "Oh, you know, it's something along the lines of, oh, you know, I, I, I couldn't let this go by without joining in." To which I told his wife, "How can I make this about me? I mean, mm. it might well be that that I'm, I'm being uncharitable and apologies if I am, but, but this does seem to happen that, you know, for example, Adele was able to go out and help at Grenfell." By just being very quiet. I only know that Adele went and helped at Grenfell in the aftermath of the terrible fire because I happen to know people that were on the ground and she just turned mm. up. And, and you know, and that's 
that's what and, and Emily Maitis did something similar you know there didn't need to be film of them doing that you know they, mm. they, they were just there doing things and they weren't going on about the fact they'd done it and yes like you yeah I, I just think what how is this somehow about you I suppose those of us on the Bono puts our teeth on edge um, side of things, <laughs> you know, we, as you say, we may have him completely wrong. I've never met him. I know very no, little about him at all. It's just, it's, I think you, you, you hit it on the head. It's this manner that he presents that it's like, mm. oh, it's okay, everyone. Bono's here. You know, everything will be all yes. right now. As if singing in a pop group gives him some higher power. Yes. But, um, anyway, That's good luck, exactly Mr. Bono. Is, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, also, you know, uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the kitchen, very obviously always very pleased to see um, success from, you know, young bands, struggling young bands, always good when young people get breaks. You know, congratulations to hey, to Inhaler, who have been very successful. All of a sudden, uh, one, you know, top five in the BBC's Sound of Music poll. Um, they came from nothing with their vocalist and guitarist Elijah Hewson. <laughs> so uh, I was so, waiting for so, the punchline. Yes, uh-huh. son of. So uh, so yeah. so yes. Just when you thought it was safe, there's now another generation. So who knows? I, I heard a couple of inhaler songs and quite like them. And perhaps I should not judge. Uh, if we're going to go biblical, judge Elijah by the sins of his father. But um, but yeah, isn't it funny how you know? As my friend said, now we're living in the age of young bands and young actors and actresses who have, when you look at their Wikipedia entry, at least one parent is in blue, meaning they have their own Wikipedia entry. Uh, Bono's book, Surrender, it's published by mm. Penguin Random House. Oh, for um, God's but sake, not... they were the same people behind the Morrissey disasters, mm, weren't we they, are. for goodness sake. If you want to read it, though, you've got to wait till November the 1st. That's when it's published. <laughs> I was going to say, there'll be people, chalk, people chalking off the chalking yes. off the days on a tally chart on their wall as we speak. Coming up next... Right, son, you're nicked. Hey, that's that's a great impression. It's like he was in the room. The police as portrayed on TV over the years. That's right after Tanya Donnelly.
during lockdown, she undertook a series of covers, um, covering songs mm. released weekly on Bandcamp mm. to raise funds for different causes, which seems a lovely thing to do. Yes. This was originally by her label mate, The Pixies, but covered mm. beautifully here by Tanya Donnelly. Here comes your man. I mean, this is Juliet Bates, surely, this choice. This is absolutely something that I adore. How lovely. Again, nice people in rock that she would do mm. that to, to benefit people. And, uh, and, and you know, who knows if, if, the, if the breeders and, and the pixies, and the, uh, the breeders particularly, the bands you played in and Belly, were as successful as the Beautiful South. Perhaps not, but still. I'm glad that she, she was being generous in, in raising funds for that. Um, I love Tanya Donnelly. Everything she does, I really, really like. Her, she's done some great solos stuff as well i would recommend yes. i think it's called new england or new england it's a song that's recorded as live i think i got to it from a one of the words um now hear this cds it's great and i was quite moved actually because of course she was in a she was in a a, a band with you know we can deal from the from the pixels and they were in the breeders together i just thought it was so nice that um or were they in belly together? I, I lose track of, of who's in what. I, I I my apologies, but anyway, she was because she was around that that time. For her to sort of retrospectively cover the Pixies, I, I I thought it was really moving in a way. It was a beautiful cover, and I thought it was just so lovely that she that she kind of um sort of revisiting her. I always find it moving when people revisit their youth. So so I really liked that. That was superb. Yeah, loved Tanya Donnelly. Um, Dennis Waterman d- um, died earlier this week. And for listeners not in the UK, he was an actor who, amongst other leading roles, played Detective Sergeant George Carter alongside mm. John, John Thor as Detective Inspector Jack Regan in a TV series called The Sweeney. Of course, listeners outside the UK will probably know John Thor in his later role as Morse. As, uh, yes. as Morse. But um, before The Sweeney, British cop shows tended rather to the homely um, mm. benign coppers in a local police station solving minor crimes involving lovely dixon of villains. doc green i would think yes yes the, the villains had their own moral code sort of latter-day robin hoods who only stole from the rich <laughs> and helped elderly people across the street but the sweeney which ran from 1975 mm. to 1978 was a different world where the police and the crooks shared an immoral lifestyle and where it was sometimes mm. difficult to tell who was the goody, who was the baddie. Um, a type of TV cop show that was perhaps to find its peak 25 years later in The Wire, probably the mm. greatest crime drama ever to be produced. But The Sweeney was way before your time, Jules. What are the top cop shows from your millennial era? Well, The Wire, for sure, is. I would very much agree with you on that. Um, I, I, I'll talk about the, the usual ones. So, of course, as, as as people that know me on social media know, I joined the country in becoming obsessed with Line of Duty in the in the lockdown last year. I still have an AC12 background on my computer at work, which makes everybody laugh. And I have an AC12 mug. Um, I I was into it anywhere, but like a lot of people, my interest in it ramped up when we couldn't go out anymore. That was that was superb. I know there was some disappointment with the ending to the fight. Well, I say the final series, series six. It's unknown if it will be back for series seven. But I I I really enjoyed Line of Duty because that deals with when we talk about sort of different angles on things. That was quite sort of innovative in its way, and then it dealt with who polices the police. So what happens when the police go wrong? AC12 is the anti-corruption unit, you know, and that, I thought that was really interesting and harks back to the Sweeney in a way, although it's far cooler than the Sweeney in terms of in terms of how calm it is, although it does have an iconic character in Ted Hastings, of course, played by Adrian Dunbar. So big fan of Line of Duty. Um, I, I, I have to say it's not 
it, I don't think it, I don't know if it's described as a police drama or not, but like many people, I wouldn't, you know, I tell people my favourite police dramas are The Wire and and Line of Duty. I grew up on The Bill. That was something that used to be on every week. And anybody that's anybody has played some sort of shoplifter or corp. My friend got paid really well for paying two separate corpses in The Bill on two different occasions. She got 300 quid a go for lying in a, with a sheet over her for two days. I thought that was really good. Anyway, I used to watch that a lot, but... I secretly have a soft spot for Midsummer Murders, Ter- Sir Terence. I'm a big fan of well, the increasingly wacky way in which people seem to seem to die. I'm sorry to spoil this, but it's sort of sport itself already by being so ridiculous. Martin McCutcheon memorably killed with a wee- by a giant wheel of cheese falling on her in Midsummer <laughs> really? Murders. Yes, Joanna Lumley appearing as the ageing singer of a once successful rock band. There is a lot to be had. <laughs> a couple of the, a couple that I think are, are, are rather unheralded now. They rather they 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 hop from the nineties. Of course, we have brilliant things like Cracker. Yeah. which we don't see very often now. And again, uh, taking a new angle. So so Robbie Coltrane playing Fitz, the police psychologist, which we didn't see very much of. I think if you can find a new angle, then that is a thing for success. Firstly, and it's being re-shown again on, it might be drama or one of the channels. I have it on series record. Do you remember Pie in the Sky? Oh, it was yes, a I thing do. that was on yes. BBC One with Richard Griffiths, the late Richard yes. Griffiths, playing a sort of a, 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 a wanting to retire cop that was in a slightly compromised position that was running a restaurant and occasionally sort of yeah. solved crime on the side. It was a rather lovely program that, that and it had a very cool jazz theme and it was it was great. That goes unheralded now. But the one for me that I really wish would be shown again, and I don't know if it's available on any streaming service, and I thought right. it was really innovative at the time, was something called the cops not hmm. cops but the cops right. and it was on um bbc2 and it was one of those programs i think they were trying to ape the success of this life in that it was shot on documentary kind of it was shot in in, in a sort of documentary manner um the camera work was sort of all over the place in in that way that this life was as well and it was sort of like a sort of it almost presented itself as a mock documentary it had roy hen uh, john henshaw in it who went on to be in um things um the the landlord in early doors i think he might have appeared in the royal family had katie kavanagh who went on to be in coronation street and it was a very Again, it was a very uncompromising portrayal of the police. And it began with a woman in a nightclub who has taken ecstasy, who receives a phone call. And next thing you know, we see her in a police uniform because she's been called on to shift. I mean, it was it was really innovative. It felt and, and it was very like there was a woman that self-harmed and and it was it was really sort of um it was really edgy and it was almost presented as a kind of a documentary even though it wasn't and it showed the police in often quite an unflattering way like you say but this was i don't know at least 10 if not more yeah it's sort of you know five to ten years before the wire or things like that and because it's sort of british and it didn't have any sort of big name or glossy big names in it it gets rather overlooked so i would definitely recommend that we all try and dig this out because i would be interested if it's as good as i remember it but i remember watching it as a sort of a teen and being really struck by how unusual it was Hmm. I, i tend to not watch television cop show dramas anymore because I uh, just don't get on with the violence in them. So mm. many people recommended Line of Duty to me, but I just I did watch it, and then I found the level of violence too much. Mm. I know I'm hypersensitive, and it's just me. No, but that's, but that's that's your it. choice, isn't it? Of course, yeah, you know, if you don't watch something that makes you uncomfortable, and on that yeah, note, yeah. 
Vicky McClure from Line of Duty went on to be in something called Trigger Point fairly recently. It was about police bomb disposal experts um, on on ITV, and she 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 seems a good egg, Vicky McClure from her uh, from her social media. Does a lot for sort of dementia charities and things, but not in a not in a not in a, a Bono style way. Mm. She just seems to very genuinely enjoy doing it. And she she posted after the first episode in which there was an explosion at the end. She put even I jumped, and I knew that was coming because we filmed it. So <laughs> so um, so yes, perhaps that's not for you but i do enjoy tv that is so alarming that yeah. it alarms people that have been in it no i mean if you enjoyed it then that's fair enough mm. it just was too much for me and as yeah, you say that's enough. a personal thing however i am addicted to reality cop shows like the splendid mm. 24 hours in police oh, custody yes. and police in interceptors and things like that yes those sort of shows i really like and cops and particularly live pd from the states <laughs> excuse me that followed um, police in the states um, broadcasting live from mm. various states and was absolutely captivating and enlightening. But um, it was cancelled by A and E after the after the death of George Floyd and Paramount cancelled Cops too. And I'm not sure the cancellations were an appropriate response, but uh, cancelled they are. Um, impossible to gauge whether such shows would ever be made here in that sort of live mm. sense. I think. Yes. We've got different legal laws, don't we? That you know you can't, you know you're innocent till proven guilty, and so on and so forth. And, and, and it's although although there are extraordinary things happening at the moment, um, mm. I do feel that we still have a level of restraint here that perhaps is not does yeah. not exist over yeah. there. Maybe things are changing. It would also know. probably be a bit boring, George, because uh, you know, <laughs> to put it bluntly, cops in the in the states, you know, it's all you know chasing people up and down freeways, and they've got guns. Well, and I thought that's the difference, the Terence. But they're, 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 we don't do guns that. are not, yeah, guns are not particularly legal over here, and they're extremely no, legal exactly. in the US. So and that's yeah. that's that's if ever there was an argument for you know, sensible, what I would call sensible gun laws or, you know, regulate, strict regulation of guns, um, very aside from the terrible tragedies that have happened in the US and the mm. fact that we have one here and then everything was, everything was sort of a, sort of tightened up immediately. It's, it's the fact that, you know, we couldn't, we could, these shows could not exist over here because, you know, uh, yeah, sometimes the, the 24 hours of the police are, are, can be very interesting and very moving, but, you know, someone stole some tights from Superdrug, you know, it's not yeah. quite the same, is it? <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, yeah. that's, that's an argument, you know, just the sheer know. misery that you see on those American uh, shows. You do Coming think. from um, an, a largely non-gun owning country, mm. um, it is still so strange to go to America. And, you know, you might walk into a Starbucks in a state where open gun, uh, you, you can wear guns openly, and you walk into a Starbucks and someone sits down with a coffee and puts like a like a rifle on the table in front of them. It's still just, it's really discomb- discombobulating to, to see it's, that coming from the UK. It's another world, isn't it? It just, yeah. oh, another planet. It just feels like another planet. And it is, I mean, I I find those difficult to watch, actually. Interesting, interesting how we're so different on this. I'm mm. fine if it's, I'm fine if it's fictional, um, but I'm not, if it's real life, I, I, I get too troubled by it, I think, by just the, I mean, the gun thing, particularly the sheer misery of why is all this stuff yeah. repeatedly happening when it's fairly easy to not to have that and i'm not saying we don't i'm not saying that it is dixon of doc green over here and that we don't have our problems here in the in, in the uk we, we very clearly do but I, yeah i i find the gun thing just just yeah. really up i just it frustrates me because i just feel and, and i know that i don't live in certain parts of the states i don't understand that culture but I, I, but i don't i i hate it why why have that culture when it means that that 
kids get shot in schools and they all have to know how to do why why would you live like that i just i just don't i know we've wandered off subject a bit but i just <laughs> i just don't i just don't understand that but um but yeah so so i can't deal with police i can't deal with the real life things and you can't deal with people acting things i mean that's mm-hmm. that says a lot about the two of us i think it really does thanks very much for listening this week lovely to have you there yes i i echo i echo um i echo the sentiments of my excellent colleague and reassuringly there's no violence or police involvement in your uh, radio show no although some might say that it's only a matter of time although but i've never played the police i think maybe maybe they despite my reported antipathy for sting although having said that he has slightly more of my heart than bono does but um although i put them in the same bucket i must say but um yeah you can join me uh from seven to nine on sunday evenings on noiseboxradio.com or if you go on to mixcloud you can find previous shows there yacht rock easy listening pop you know just nice things for a sunday evening to have a bit of a wind down that's the plan anyway and you're surprising us by taking us back to bono and his pals to play us out well i did say that there are some of their records that i can i can listen to and actually this is the most interesting u2 album in my view because it doesn't especially sound like u2 um it's from the album pop which i got my copy on cd from a charity shop for 50p and it was very much worth my money it was great <laughs> i'd recommend it it was just uh, if you if you pardon the expression pop up places so so you can this is a i think this was post lemon tour when you just went a bit weird for a bit and it was actually really interesting um i love this there's a very entertaining video to this i don't know what happened but um they're all in feather boas and the edges in a cowboy hat i think oh, it's so they're, the they're being the village people aren't they yes they are it's, yes, it's great yes, yes. It's, it's it's unexpectedly not taking themselves hugely seriously and i love it i think it's great um i i love this song it's got such an addictive riff i think and i love the fact that it's it's electronic leaning i think it's what for me it's probably my favorite u2 song i think it's it's their finest moment so as i'm concerned probably because it doesn't sound a lot like them but anyway this is from the album pop u2 and discotheque You can't grab it You can hold it, control it You can't bag it You can push But you can't direct it Circulate, regulate
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>